ahead and get started. We're finally in chapter five of 1 Timothy. And uh, we're going to look at the first three verses and we're gonna spend quite a bit of time here because this passage, it, it's like when people go through 1 Timothy one to four, there's so much meat in there. There's so many important truths, especially with regard to the ministry. And then they get into, you know, just something that has to do primarily with, with the way we uh, treat others and especially a long uh, discourse on, on widows that they think, well, you know, my church really doesn't do that. So they kind of pass on through it rather quickly. And uh, there are so many things here that are important. And also, um, even though we are 2,000 years removed, we need to understand that, that what's found in this text in chapter five is extremely important. Even the part regarding the widows. And I sometimes point this out that actually the discussion regarding widows comes before the discussion regarding elders and actually more text is, are, is dedicated to dealing with widows. Now, when we look at it, um, it is primarily with regard to the treatment of widows, which was so important in the first century, but it has wider applications. Um, I think also we can apply this especially to the church's treatment of the elderly who are, who are believers. And so let's, um, let's begin in chapter five, uh, verse one. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this great privilege to teach your word. Father, I, I pray that, Lord, the word would so saturate our heart that we would abide in the word and the word would abide in us, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ that it would be uh, a controller and a compeller, a lamp unto our feet, a light to our path, that we would not do that which is right in our own eyes, that we would not follow the flesh, nor the current of this world, but Lord, that we would walk not merely as Christians, but as those who have been called to lead other Christians through the proclamation of the word and through our example. Oh, Father, it's a fearful thing to take the mantle upon ourselves, even when it is gifted by you. So please, Lord, help us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we look at, just quickly, over, over at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we read, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, of course, it is obvious that some scriptures and some teachings in the scriptures um, are more important than others. For example, when we get to Romans 3, 
You know, verses 23 through 28, many believe that that is possibly the most important text in all of Scripture. That which pertains to the gospel and what Christ did on Calvary. But especially as younger ministers, you need to recognize something that the old guys used to say about the scriptures and they take it out of the book of Job is that the dust of this book is gold. Everything that is written in the Old Testament is for our edification. Everything that is written in the New Testament is extremely important. So when you come to this passage, don't just think, okay, it has to do with widows, I'll go on. No, it has to do with you in the ministry and how you are going to respond to others, others for whom Christ died. Remember what he said, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. That it would be better that a millstone be tied around your neck and that you be cast into the sea than you cause one of these little ones to stumble or one of these older ones to stumble. Now, another thing I want you to see in, in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3 is that um, it says all scripture is profitable. So what we're going to see in chapter 5 is profitable and necessary. The most important thing and the reason why I directed you to this text before we return to our uh, text for the day is this. You are going to have to teach you are going to have to reprove, tell people they're wrong. You're going to have to correct people and you're going to have to train people. And sometimes those people are gonna be older than you. What type of attitude or disposition do you take toward them? Sometimes they're going to be your equals with regard to age, for example, your brothers. How will you talk to them, remembering that you, as a minister, have responsibility and yet they are your brothers and then sisters? How are you going to minister to them in a way that manifests impeccable purity? And so all these things are extremely important. Now, I want to look at some general principles about you teaching, uh, rebuking, correcting others. I want to look at some very important principles before we get to the meat of the text. And the first one is found, if you'll turn, in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. So let's go there for just a moment, because we're laying a groundwork with regard to how do we talk to others, especially when it has to do with appealing to them or correcting them. So look in verse 1 of chapter 6 of Galatians. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a, any trespass, now look at that, any trespass, no matter how minor or how severe, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So our counseling does not have the purpose of, it is not punitive. It is not to punish but it is to restore. Even church discipline has as its purpose the restoration of the sinner. But he says, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, which not only is the idea of, of actually being gentle, but, but also it has an idea too of, I believe, of, of, of humility, of being very careful 
And then he says, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. That whatever you're teaching, realize that you need to be taught. Whenever you reprove someone, you rebuke them, realize that you oftentimes need to be the subject of reproof. You need to be corrected or reproved, corrected, and also you need to be trained. You need to be open for constant instruction. And then he says in verse two, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Goes on to say that counseling, especially rebuking or reproving, it is not you found out something about somebody and you relish the opportunity to take the superior position and to speak down to them. But whenever someone falls, even in a severe sin, it is a burden to you. Paul, uh, well, let's, let's first, um, yes. Well, let's first look at Lot. Lot was crushed by all the wickedness that was around him. Paul the Apostle was burdened and had sleepless nights and burned with zeal and sometimes wept with sorrow over the sin of other believers in the church. So bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Just realize this, and, and I hope you know this, and it, it's in the very depth of your heart. There is no sin that you can come across that you are incapable of. And apart from the grace of God, you would even deny Christ. That if there is any good in you, it was put there through the cross of Christ and through his ministering spirit. So always with humility, always. And it is true. There are some men, wolves, that have to be fought and fought with a severity. But when you're not dealing with wolves, when you're dealing with sheep, you better be very careful because you're an under shepherd. There is an over shepherd to whom you must give an account. Now I wanna look at one more text. So we were in Galatians, now just jump over to 2 Timothy 2.24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Do you know there have been men who wanted to work with me, um, work at Heartcry, be missionaries, and they qualified in almost every area except they were quarrelsome. They love to fight on the internet. They love to get involved in controversies. Now, I know godly men who are apologists and, and different things like that, and yes, sometimes they get in fights. But if you know them, they're not quarrelsome persons. But we should never be quarrelsome. Now, sometimes you must quarrel. But if that's a mark in your life, constantly getting in quarrels, then there's a problem. It says the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. So we're looking at here being kind being open to people, a person that is not difficult to be with. You're, you're actually easy to be with under normal circumstances. But be kind to all, able to teach. Remember that whenever you're counseling, your opinion 
Let me tell you what your opinion matters. Zero. In counseling, in rebuke, in reproof, in correction, you should be expounding scripture. So he goes, able to teach, patient when wronged. Now, I think there's something very important you need to realize. When you go to um, reprove or appeal or rebuke or correct a person, a lot of times they're going to lash out at you. You're going to be wronged by the very person that you're trying to help. But you need to be patient, long-suffering when you're wronged. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. And again, we have to balance this out. We know that even our Lord made a whip. Paul even challenged the Corinthians. How do you want me to come to you? How do you want me to come there? But by and large, we should be persons who manifest gentleness, even with those who are in opposition to us. Because here's our hope. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So we're, we're praying that God will be gracious to them. And the only reason we're not worse than them is because God has been gracious to us. And he goes on, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. They're guilty. But in some sense, we can say that they are victimized, but they are guilty. I don't want to say one thing without the other here. If they're doing what they're doing, they're guilty for every one of their sins, but also recognize that if, if God did not put a hedge around you and protect you as a son, as a daughter, you would have no hope standing against the devil. And so whenever you're counseling someone, whenever you're appealing to someone, it would be very, very healthy before you enter into that room to look in the mirror, to sit down for a moment and think about yourself, but not in a delusional manner. Think correctly about yourself, your sins, your weaknesses, your capability to sin apart from the grace of God. And so when we go to appealing to older men or appealing to older women or appealing to our brothers or our sisters in Christ, first of all, it's not just following a formula in 1 Timothy chapter 5, but you have cultivated throughout your study of all the scriptures a spirit of humility and of gentleness and a desire to see even the person who's hurt you the most you desire to see them possibly converted, or if they are converted, brought back to the fold. And I, I think of, of Jesus who said, forgive them, they know not what they do. I think of the Apostle Paul who literally had become an enemy of Israel. There were people who made vows to God that they wouldn't eat or drink until they killed him. And yet he said his heart's desire was for them to be saved. He even wished that he could be accursed if it would mean the salvation of his people. Now that's a, that's a bold statement. But I don't believe he was talking in hyperbole or exaggeration. I think he really was like that. And I can tell you, you may think, oh, well, what Brother Paul is talking about, that's not a hard thing. No, let me tell you, 
People can hurt you, hurt your family so bad that you have to struggle to want good for them. You know, the churches in the West, when they went over into communist, uh, communist countries after the wall fell, I heard a lot of, uh, especially Americans, saying, you know, why aren't these, you know, why aren't the Christians more evangelistic? Why don't they reach out more to their neighbors? Uh, why aren't they more loving to the lost? The church needs, needs to reach out. That, that's easy when you live in the West and know none of your neighbors have wanted to kill you or throw you in prison or take your children away. We may enter into those times if we haven't entered already. But just know that if you're going to do what is commanded here in these three verses, you are going to have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word of God. Now, let's get back to our text in 1 Timothy 5. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. Now, what does he mean by older man? The word is uh, presbuteros or presbyteros, depending on how you want to pronounce your Greek. Um, and it refers to the elderly. In this case, since it's masculine, to an elderly man. Now, the word is also used for kind of a leader of the Sanhedrin. The word is also used for a Christian elder. But uh, because it is placed in, um, in reference to other age categories, like young men, young women, older women, it's probably referring to everyone in the church who is male, who is older, who would be recognized as an elder. Now this can include ministers, but it goes beyond that to include anyone who is older. And the idea here is age. So it doesn't mean that you need to just show great respect to an older man who's been a Christian for, say, four decades. It could be an older man who's been a Christian for six weeks, because the issue here right now is age. Now, in our culture, that's very hard to understand, but it's not hard to understand in a biblical culture that age was to be honored. It was a strict rule in the law. So I want to, um, I'm just going to read to you from Leviticus 19.32. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. So what he's saying is, if you want to honor God, who is the Lord, then you're going to honor the gray-headed. You're going to rise up. You know, when I was a boy, um, I don't even know if this is taught anymore. When I was a boy, if, if an elder person walked into the room, you were supposed to stand. Even if there were many chairs and they were all empty, except the one you were seated in, you were to stand up, you were taught that. Not necessarily even a biblical you know, a biblical idea in the minds of most people, even though it originated from the biblical idea. And you can see how far we have degenerated as a society. And I think this needs to be taught to the young. It is a principle. And it's worthy of repetition. It should be taught to the young. When certain people, 
older people enter the room, I still stand. And even when they say, oh, don't stand, I'm, I'm, st I'm still going to stand. There, there's a sense of honor. When, when you turn on the news or you look on YouTube and you see everything that's going on, there's no honor. And where there's no honor, you have a despicable people. And let me share with you something. Um, when we talk about things like standing in the presence of the aged, there are people who go, well, it's just all about the gospel. What do you mean by that? I love the gospel. The gospel is preeminent. But the Bible also lays out how then shall we live in light of the gospel? And there are certain things that are just, oh, that's not really important. Well, if the Bible says it's important, it's important. And I think that we, it's like we've raised, it's like our generation is just a generation of vipers and we're raising vipers. Uncouthed, uneducated, without morals. And it's all because all these preachers may be saying it's all about the gospel. Use that as a shield to hide behind. That it's all about the gospel and then gospel really shouldn't have any impact upon you. So Leviticus 19.32, you shall rise up before the gray headed and honor the aged and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. Do you see that? The way you revere God. One of the ways that you revere God is you revere, you honor the structures that God has put forward, the institutions and the people. Um, I've been out many times in California and Dr. MacArthur will tell me several times, he'll go, just call me John. I can't. I just can't do it. If I talk to, to, to Dr. Piper, just call me John. I just can't do it. There's a sense of wanting to honor people. Wanting to honor people. And you should be a man who seeks to honor people. And you demonstrate that in your church. You're an example of that. Exodus 20, 12. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The word honor, kaved, is treat them as weighty, as significant, as important. What are old people treated like now? Just bulk, weight, discard them. Why don't they go on? <laughs> because they're draining from the social security system. Really? You can tell a culture by how it treats its babies and how it treats its seniors. That shows we're in a whole lot of trouble in the West, doesn't it? He says, honor them. Honor them. And yes, you should show respect even to a young person. But, but pastor, listen to me. You show more respect to the gray-headed because you're commanded to. 
Exodus 21, 17, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And you say, well, this is about, you know, this is about children. No, it's, it's about how do you treat the aged? Because he's going to say, appeal to them as fathers, appeal to them as mothers. And so how should you do it? Very carefully. Demonstrating honor. Proverbs 30, 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. It's pretty explicit. Sometimes when I've been hunting in the woods, you come across, you know, an animal that has recently died and you see buzzards all over it. Or I'd have to go get one of our cattle that had had died. You'd see buzzards all over it, picking it apart. That's what he's saying here. We need to do it because they're aged, but we need to do it more importantly because it's exactly what God commanded. And it's honoring, it's honoring the categories and the institutions that God himself put in place. And so the general principles is that when we go to an older man, we should honor him. Now, Look at Job 32, 4, and this is important. And this for me at times throughout the years, especially the last 10 years, has been sort of a, uh, it reveals a lot about a young man called into the ministry. In Job 32, 4, now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were years older than he. Man, I've had guys come up to me that they're in the ministry. Man, I've got ties older than they are. And I mean, the moment I walk in the room, they are in my face and they are telling me everything they know and correcting me and this and that and everything else. And sometimes, yeah, there's some truth in it. But from the way they do it, I realize they're spiritually immature. They have no idea about how to honor a man or a woman. I had a young person one time ask me to go because they it was a it was a leader and they would always refer to that leader by his first name. So and so, so and so. And I would always refer to them as as brother or mister or doctor. And they go. Why do you do that? I go. I just believe that they ought to be honored in any way I can find to do it. I'm going to do it. Be very careful when you're in the presence of older men. It might be good to listen. Yes, speak, but speak with dignity, with humility, because sometimes those men are, are dealing with answers and, and you don't even know the question. Now, with regard to the older men, he says, do not rebuke sharply. The Greek word, epipleso, it, it, it means to actually strike. That's, that's the idea, to strike. Uh, Mounts has it at to strike at or to inflict a blow on someone. Figuratively, it means to chide, to speak harshly, 
to denounce, to express strong disapproval as a type of punishment, lo and nita. Um, be very careful, even when an older man needs to be rebuked. Be very, very careful how you do it. Well, why? I mean, what's the difference? Why? Because God said so. And never forget, I, I remember uh, one time I was driving down the road and there was this elderly man driving in front of me. And I mean, if the speed limit was 45, he was going about 20. And people were honking at him and everything, and I came up behind him. I could see that he was elderly. And a young man in the car said, ah, gosh, I wish this old man would just get out of the way. And I looked at him and I said, young man, it's very possible that that old man in front of us faced down a tank in World War II all by himself. You be very careful how you talk. You be very careful how you talk. So it, the idea is when you talk to them, don't intend to strike them or punish them with your words. Now you're going to have to tell the truth. If they're in sin, you're going to have to tell the truth. If they need direction, you're going to have to tell the truth. But there's a way of doing it even strongly, while at the same time showing respect. And you say, well, how do you find that middle ground? Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the renewing of your mind. You see, here's one of the problems. People treat the Bible as kind of some like a phone book, okay? You come to a situation and you go, um, okay, how do, I, how do I need to deal with this situation? And so you start looking in the Bible, how do I find the answer, the right disposition, the right attitude, what should I do? Well, yeah, that's important. You need to do that, but let me show you a better way. You should be constantly renewing your mind in the full counsel of God so that when you come to these situations, you've already been transformed by the word. And it's not just you know what to do, your disposition is inclined toward it because you've been renewing your mind. You have cultivated the mind of Christ. Extremely important. So I used to have a professor in political science that would always say a stampede at dust does not atone for a wasted day. The neglect of studying the scriptures daily as a, as a discipline, a private discipline, it, it cannot be replaced by just running to the Bible whenever you have a question. You need to live in the word of God. Now he says, do not sharply rebuke him. Do not strike him with your words. Don't seek to punish him with your words, but rather appeal to him as a father. The conjunction there is an adversative conjunction. It shows a great contrast on the wrong side is you seek to strike him, beat him black and blue with your words. But Paul says here, no, the very opposite is what you ought to do. You ought to appeal to him, appeal to him. Now the word is uh, parakaleo, which means to call to one side, to invite them near, and to speak to them, to entreat them, parakaleo. 
I think that Greek word ought to remind you of a person, uh, the Holy Spirit. And I've written here the Holy Spirit in various places in John, John 14, 16, 26, 15, 26, 16, 7, refer to the Holy Spirit as the parakletos. Now, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit should imitate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called alongside of us. The Holy Spirit appeals to us. Uh, there are times when, yes, the Holy Spirit can, can deal with us, convict us in a sharp way, but it's always in love. Always in love. And so we need to appeal to them. I'll give you an example. So someone, you know, an, an elderly man gets up in the pulpit and shares something. And, and what they shared was, well, it was either confusing or it was just wrong. You're not gonna get up right afterwards and, and just tear it apart. Yes, you're going to have to do something so that people aren't led astray, but it's the way you do it. You may even feel, if you're young and prideful, you may even hear somebody say something in the pulpit and they're wrong and it almost brings you joy because you're gonna be able to get up there and show everybody just how much you know and how much everyone else does not know. Well, you need to keep your seat because you're gonna get yourself in a lot of trouble. Does something, says something, that's a little bit out of the ordinary or confusing. I'm not gonna walk up in the pulpit and go, what that brother said was just, that's a mess, let me clear it up. Now, if he's a heretic and he's talking heresy, that's different, but we're talking about a brother and an elderly brother. And so I would get up and do something like this, thank you, dear brother. I would point out what was right in everything he said. And then I might say something like this, I would, I would like to give a little bit of clarification on some things and then go from there and use wisdom. Later on, I can talk to him, I can correct him. And even when I do that, I'm gonna say, dear brother, thank you so much for sharing. And these few points that you brought out here were excellent, but let me talk to you about something, something you probably know, maybe it just didn't come out right and just go on. That's not cowardice. I work with some men and uh, they're just not afraid of much. And one day we were talking about having to deal with someone and none of us wanted to do it. And I sat there and I realized something. These men who would fight hell with a water pistol, some of them have been Marines and other things like that, they, they do not want to confront this brother, but they don't want to confront him, not because they're afraid of him, like he's gonna beat them up or, they were reticent in confronting him because they, they were afraid to hurt him. And I think that's a, that's a, are you not dealing with someone because you're just flat out afraid of what they'll do to you? Well, that's wrong. But when you know you have to deal some, with someone and it's really, really bothering you because you want to say it right and you want to tell the truth, but you don't want to hurt them, that's a good thing. 
I always say this, do not stomp out the small start, the small uh, spark that might be there. Be very, very careful. Don't be cowardly. I, I think the Apostle Paul is a great example here because if there was ever a church group he rebuked, it was uh, Corinthians, the, the Corinthians. I mean, man. Uh, but if you notice in the first chapters, he talks about what's right with them. He talks about that first. If you notice, Jesus does the same when he can in the seven churches of Asia, minor. And so be very careful. Also, just so you know, one of the things that I've lived long enough to see old preachers get older and then die. And I've seen cases where preachers, their boldness, it evolves or devolves from boldness to brashness, from boldness to just hard and merciless. And you want to be very, very careful about that. Now, so he says, but appeal to them as fathers. I think we'll, we'll stop there. We'll, uh, we'll take a break and then we'll come back. And um, brothers, here's the thing on this one. You need to look at 1 Timothy. You need to look at verse 1. But you're not going to be able to pull it off unless you're constantly renewing your mind in the Word of God, cultivating the mind of Christ and reflecting that mind in your speech. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. And I pray, Lord, please work in the hearts of these young preachers. Oh, God, that they have that balance that no one can give them but you. Oh, God, let them be desperately seeing their need to study the scriptures and pray. To be transformed. And oh, God, help us all. In Jesus' name, amen.